we continue in chapter 6. Remember, Paul is laying out his case to the objection uh, that he is on the wrong track in chasing after this abounding grace. And he continues to tell us what that means as it unfolds in our life. And so would you stand together with me and let's read again. Romans 6, 1 through 11. And as I'm reading, just pay particular attention to 4 through 7. Beginning in verse 1, it says, What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We, how can we who died to sin live in it? Or excuse me, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father, again, we ask that you would take these words, however brief they are, Lord, I pray that you would lay on every heart here, right now, that you would lay on every heart a sense of the profundity and the gravity of what you have given to us. I pray, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would do far more than we could ask or imagine. We pray that you would do what only you could do, that you would take this word, that you would drive it into the hearts of your people here today, that you would, you would, you would provide what is needed in the life of your saints today to respond. Lord, I pray that you would make us ready to receive whatever you have here to comfort us, whatever you have here to convict us, whatever you give to us today to conform us to the image of your Son. We pray these things dependent on you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I was in Estonia 
in, I think it, it was the summer of 1994. As one of the, kind of the Baltic states, you got Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia. And now this is 94, it's just three years after their independence from Russia. Just three years. I was there with the Baptist Student Ministry, uh, uh, the BSM. Uh, I had one partner, right? and, and he and I were broken up most of the time. You know, we stayed in these little villages or these kind of the interior. It was really actually fascinating because we were out there. I mean, like building walls with rocks and mud. I'm not even kidding. This is. I was like, is this going to stand up? And the guy just said, do it. Do it. Okay. One of the things we were told there was you do not talk about politics. Don't do it. That is like an explosive uh, element. And you can imagine why. There was real fracturing that went on because they went from a state-run economy to a market. Almost, well, kind of almost like that. And so you had folks, and then this is what one of, the, one of the pastors, the way he described it to me, he said, you had folks who would, had an office job, they would go there, they would have coffee, not have a whole lot to do, but they, they were paid. And now that's gone. They were struggling in that difficult political, that difficult economic environment. They were struggling. They were struggling to learn how to live in this newfound independence, out from under the rule of this other country. This is what you are doing what you're doing. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. This is what you're doing. You're learning to live in light of a new reality. Remember what Paul said. And this was the four, remember the force of his exhortation. Count, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That is a whole new reality. Now, really, genuinely, are any of you struggling to get used to this new reality? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, you're all smiling and just looking at me. Anybody want to raise their hand and say, oh, yes, that's, that's me, Greg. Nope. Okay, there we go. We got, I've got one, two, three, four. All right, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right, so we got eight people, nine, ten. Ten people in here struggling to adapt to this new reality. Okay, well, if you could hang around later, all of you that aren't struggling, let us know your secret. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're struggling to get used to this. We've already seen that Paul grounds this reality, you're dead to sin and alive to God, in those last few verses, 8 through 11. Christ's death and resurrection 
what we saw there is that Jesus died to sin and Jesus lives to God. And he gives our baptism into Christ's death as the reason that Christ being dead to sin and alive to God means that we can be dead to sin and alive to God. That is to say, it is our union with Christ. And so I want to finish this out looking at this union in Christ and what it means. And it means two things. It means life and it means freedom. Life and freedom. And this is those what, the four verses, the middle four verses, give us the details of what it is about being baptized into the death of Jesus that makes this difference. So first of all, union with Christ means life. In 4, Paul says, you were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death. Buried. That's a strong way. He didn't. He could have just, well, he did. He did just say in three that you, as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. But here he says, burial. Burial. You were buried. It's a strong way of presenting it. It seems like that highlights for us just how, how the degree to which we identify with his death. You really were buried with him. You who were dead, who were cut off from God, you were buried with him into his death. That is to say, you participated in his death. Right? His death, the ultimate cutting off from God. And this baptism into Christ was the means, it's the instrumentality, the means through which that union with Jesus in his death and burial happened for you. And this baptism into Christ's death and burial, it had a purpose, Paul says. Christ died, as Christ died, we died. And as Christ was raised by the power of the Father, that is, when Jesus was raised up from the dead, at that moment something wonderful happened. Again, you need to maintain a real fix. We're talking about these historical reality. Back here, Jesus' death and resurrection. And remember, I'm, when I'm, we're talking about baptism, I was saying that baptism, a good way of understanding what Paul is talking about there, is this historic reality where in his death and resurrection corporate body baptized into Christ and raised up with Christ. Is that it? But here Paul is saying something interesting. He's saying Jesus died and at his, as his, at his resurrection by the power of the Father, this thing starts to come up. It's almost like there is this sort of tear in all the blackness and light starts to move through. But now I don't know if we can do it like this, right? You've got, you've got Jesus' death and resurrection, and with it, we've got this opening now, newness of life. Newness of life. Now, it's broken in. New life emerged. 
It's the kind of life that will come to full expression at the consummation of all things. Out there. So this is the death and resurrection of Jesus here. Then we're looking out there at the consummation of all things. When he returns and we're all raised with him. That resurrection with Christ coming. It's the kind of life lived in the kingdom of God by the power of Christ's spirit. That's what he's talking about when he says newness of life. But again, the fascinating thing is that somehow what started back there was an inbreaking of what's to come out there. It's already started. And that's why he says here, this is the force, right? It's not just that new, newness of life has come. It is that you must walk in newness of life. Because you participated in his death. Verse 5, Paul gives the reason for this. He makes it explicitly clear. By giving this clearer link between death and resurrection. All right, so we've got... Walking in newness of life, hold on to that, right? Now we got five, let's, we're going to bring these two things together. He says there, if you were united, and this is the idea, in the likeness or form of the death of Christ, then you will be united in the likeness or form of the resurrection of Christ. Union with the death of Jesus means union with the resurrection of Jesus. You get the link. We got this stable link between our baptism into the death of Christ and that resurrection of Christ to come. But he says more than that here. It's the way that he says it that's important. Just hang with me. Paul is saying something about what happened then, being united with his death. But that thing that happened then continues now. That's the force of the grammar that he's using. Paul means something like this, according to one writer. You have been joined to the form of Christ's death and are constantly being, and need to be, conformed to Christ's death. Right here, he's got this other element that's happening now. It is a daily dying. Again, that's the force of the grammar. Paul says, as certainly as we have been united to his death, and that conformity to his death continues, then we will certainly be united to the likeness or form of his resurrection, a bodily resurrection. So we put these two things together. Okay, here's how it goes. We got past, we got a present, and we got a future. But they're all jumbled up. Are y'all tracking with that? They really, are, they really are jumbled. I mean, it is kind of hard to tell where we are exactly. This redemptive historical reality really transcends time, Christ, the significance of this, this work that Christ has done. It sort of transcends time. 
So the idea is this, the past, we have Christ's death and resurrection, his actual death and resurrection, but also in that past, we have our, bapti our baptism into Christ's death and the raising up of this corporate people, so that in the present, we have the implications of that union with him, and there are two. And you see this in Paul's letters other places, two things. Right now, we walk in newness of life, and right now, we are conformed continually to Christ's death. Do you all track with that? Right now. Right now, in this moment, where you are, you get up and you leave this place today, and you go outside. This is what's happening. You walk you must walk in newness of life. You must be conformed continually to his death. You know, it's interesting that this is the way Lent is kind of structured. You have Jesus' baptism. And then, Jesus' suffering, culminating in another baptism. I mean, do y'all remember in the Gospels, Jesus called his, his, his crucifixion a baptism. And then comes resurrection. What Paul just said that we have here, walking in newness of life now and conformity to his death now, we are following the pattern of our Savior's life. Do y'all track with that? That's what we're doing. A couple of places where you see this. And you can just jot them down. Philippians 3.10. Remember Paul saying, I want to know Christ. He says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain resurrection. Do you hear that? He just went through that exact cycle that we just talked about. And remember, here's what's interesting, and these, these are not two separate things, this walking in newness of life and being conformed to his death. I like the way one writer puts it on this particular passage. What we realize is this, the power of his resurrection. How do we know the power of his resurrection? We know the power of his resurrection in this way, in this way, as the fellowship of his sufferings and conformity to his death. Fellowship of his sufferings and conformity to his death is not an aside from resurrection power. That is the display of resurrection power. That is the display. That's what resur resurrection life looks like. Sufferings. Or fellowship of his sufferings and conformity to his death. 
And then Paul says something like this in Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And then verse 6 says this, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? That's resurrection. And there Paul goes, hey, we're there. So there is a sense in which this resurrection reality that Christ opened up with his death and resurrection, that has broken into now like this wave. This is, I don't know, you can track with me here, right? This, this, this wave that's now splashed in and now we've got this tidal wave emerging where we're just sort of following. We're in the wave. That has broken into now. Because of the past. So these are, oh, and, oh, and I'll add this part. Right? Just this, this is. So that, we're again raised, with, raised up with him. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, we got that. Now, here's 10. For we, for you, are the workmanship, or his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That, my friends, is good news. See, I'll read that, and I think some of you go, oh, oh my gosh. Because you hear good works, and you hear obedience, and you go, oh, I'm such a blessing. But that's good news. Because new life has broken into now. And what has been opened up for you is this incredible. You get to be truly human. Now. You get to taste the fruit of what God created you to be. Now. This is the gift. This is the blessing that he gives to you and I. So the blessing of you being united with his death is newness of life and conformity to his death and anticipation of real resurrection. Okay, but it also means freedom. Here's the other side of the union coin. And this is in 6 and 7. Well, 8, but finishes out. When Paul talks about there, our old self being crucified, right? If that's the old man, if you've got an older translation, it'll say old man, right? It's not like your old man, you know, that used to, well, maybe it is kind of like your old man if he used to drink Budweiser and he was around. And, you know. this, this is, this is the old man. 
It's not individual idea. Who is the old man? Remember, this is corporate. We haven't left the corporate reality. A body, Adam, that's the old man. We belonged to the old man. We were part of the old man, Edemic humanity. We lived in that old man. We participated in the life of that old man. It's where we lived. We did what you do when you do what you do where you live. But we were crucified with Christ, with him. And this was for a purpose, remember? In verse 4, baptism into his death had a purpose. You know, that as we were raised with Christ, we walk in newness of life. Well, here there's a purpose. And the purpose is, or has to do with the body of sin. And again, this is not a reference to your body. Following the old man idea, this is also a corporate reference. But it says something more about Adam. That corporate body belonging to sin under the reign of sin, life in Adam being cut off with God, we were crucified with Christ in order that it might be made nothing or brought to nothing. That body of sin, that corporate body where sin ruled, crucifixion so that it might come to an end, that it might be abolished, that it might be destroyed, right? I mean, here's the idea, the force here. Is it wasn't just that you were raised, raised up out of the old man. It is that what we're seeing in history, where we're headed, this old man is on its way out. I mean, it has to be that way because what we're saying is when Christ comes and we got consummation, new heavens, new earth, there's no sin. Death doesn't reign. Sin doesn't reign. Satan doesn't reign. It's on its way down. It's winding down. It's on its way out. This corporate reality. Paul is saying when Christ was crucified, a corporate people, a community was crucified with him and their relationship, your relationship with Adamic humanity was severed. Remember last week, dead to you. Paul says this in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, remember that you, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, excuse me, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Do you get 
this is a corporate deal that Christ is accomplishing. And the consequence, if the body of sin has been crucified, then guess what? You are no longer in bondage to it. You're not. You're no longer slaves. Again, this is like the people of Egypt, right? They were in bondage under hard labor, and God brought them out. In the same way, this corporate people, this community, was created through baptism into the death of Christ, and we're free. No longer cut off from God. We have access to Him. We're brought into communion with Him. Jesus' death affects a break with our relationship with the kingdom of sin. Our slavery in that kingdom has come to an end. The author of Hebrews, he says it like this. Jesus, by God's grace, he tasted death for everyone. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. That is what Christ has done to you, for you. And he grounds this in that final verse, 7. This is all true because when one has died to sin, or excuse me, when one has died, he is free from sin. And that word freed, it's actually justified. This is sort of like the tack on, the exclamation point, maybe we could say. You died and were justified from sin. You died, and you were delivered from sin. Vindicated, we might say, by God's verdict. You're freed, we could say it this way, from the power of sin. You know, that is what baptism means. All of that. All of that that I just described. Now again, I have argued that baptism and what Paul is saying here is this corporate reality that happened in history. A people baptized into his death, raised up with him, that's what I've been arguing. But that does not push out or preclude water baptism. In fact, we're in a really good position here to recognize what was going on in that water baptism. I mean, it doesn't mean anything 
other than what we just heard that it was about. And most of you, many of you in this room, were baptized. Water baptism. Have you considered, given what we've said about baptism, have you considered what was happening then in your baptism? This stuff that I've been talking about that's historical, right? All back here, corporate people, rescued, raised up, baptized into Christ, the corporate people. That can't stay a historical that has to get worked out in history, and it does get worked out in history. For you to be in on that, you've got to be in Christ. Right? And this initiatory rite, this initiatory ritual that we, we call baptism. What if this? What if this? Okay? And I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. Okay? But what if this? What if your baptism has a whole lot less to do with what you have to say? Given what we've talked about here, what if your baptism has a whole lot less to do with what you're doing. Not incidental, right? Not un, un, unnecessary, right? You're coming and you're professing faith. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. We can, we can still have that. But what if actually the most important thing that's going on in your baptism is what God is doing in your baptism? I mean... I mean, have you considered, I mean, Sarah said it this morning. Sarah was talking about revelation, right? And that lamb. Do you realize that that is what's happening here this morning? I mean, you realize that what's happening here is supernatural, that we're gathering and the God of the universe, the triune God, shows up here, now. I mean, do you get that? I mean, it's really, t it's really tough because we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're fleshy, you know, we're, we're here. It's hard for us to kind of maintain a real grasp on those realities. But this is supernatural. This isn't a Rotary Club meeting. I know I've said this before, but I want to keep banging this drum because it's exciting, right? This is supernatural. When you show up here, we show up here because God says, hey, I'm going to show up here and I'm going to meet with you guys. And remember, Christ speaks to you. Christ gives himself to you. Here, right now, this is what Christ is doing for you to you. So is it, is it a stretch to think that when, when we pull up, what is, I don't know what we call that thing, the big tub, right? the, <laughs> the holy trough, 
I mean, we're taking this plain thing with plain stuff like water. But it's not a sentimental moment. And we do celebrate that someone has, is receiving. One of the things that should stand out to us is that in that moment, the most important thing that's happening is God is saying, hey, here's this stuff. Here are the blessings of being baptized into the death of my son. Here are the blessings that come with the link between baptism and the death of my son and the resurrection. Here they are. Take them. We receive it by faith. It's a chance for you. There's this term, it's improving your baptism, right? It's an old Puritan term, improving your baptism. It's a chance for you. What you're getting to see as you see this person baptized is you, God is going, and it's, I'm not leaving you out. Do you remember when you were baptized? Do you remember when you were baptized? I showed up, and I've given this stuff to you too. I mean, baptism is also this thing where God lays on us the responsibilities of being a disciple, being one of his people. That's what's happening. And he's saying to you, do you remember? I laid on you the responsibility. I gave you all of these gifts. So much so that he gives to us forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness and rescue and restoration and freedom and life. That's what's going on. He's giving those things. He shows up and says, hey, these are yours. These are his. I've given this initiatory. So that what we can say to one another, or how about this? I'll put it this way. If you're struggling, all right, now this is me personally. If you're struggling, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're struggling, you know, follow him. You know what I'm not going to say? I'm not going to say, hey, remember your profession and how much you meant it. I'm not going to say that. I won't. What I will say to you is remember your baptism. I will say, please remember your baptism. God showed up and he gave you this stuff. Trust him. Trust him. Believe him. Put out your hands and take it. He promised this stuff to you. Please take it. I'm going to direct you to that because he doesn't fail. I mean, do you get that? That he doesn't fail to give you that stuff. You've been baptized into Christ. (laughs) You're in him. You don't have far to go. Just turn around. 
If you need, if you need faith, turn around. If you need strength, turn around. If you need encouragement, if you need comfort, turn around. You been baptized into Christ Jesus. And God made a public declaration about you at your baptism. And he said, these things are yours. People of God, trust him. Trust him. If you need life, it's there. Trust him. He will give it to you because he already has. Let's pray together.